Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 12. Uh, we are in our 17th week in the book of Acts. It doesn't feel like it's been that long, uh, but man, it's been a whole lot of fun going through the scripture a little bit at a time. Uh, to see what the Lord would teach us. And as Kelly mentioned, we partner that with our Wednesday night Bible study where we go through it together um, in a little bit more discussion style. But in Acts chapter 12, uh, verse one is where we'll start. I want to read just a little bit there and then pray over the word as we receive it today. So in Acts 12 and verse one, it says about that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter, too, during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. And Father, as we open your word today, I thank you that you open our eyes to the wonders of it. Lord, that I, I thank you that you have never left me uh, behind this desk without a word to preach or a zeal to preach it with. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, you'll translate uh, to each heart today as we have need. I thank you that your word's alive uh, and it's able to do for us what we need from you today in Jesus name. Amen. So last week we, we talked about how the gospel is going forth and it even includes uh, and welcomes uh, the Gentiles, those who were outsiders before. And we talked about the church at Antioch and we'll get back to them uh, soon. They're coming back up. But we, we talked about some of the things that the church does. The church listens. The church goes the distance and the church takes the time. And we saw how Barnabas went from Jerusalem to Antioch to be with the church there. And then also, once he had been there for a little bit, looked to see who should have been there but wasn't. And he needed Saul. So he went to Tarsus where Saul was, got him, brought him back. And then they were there for a year. Uh, and at the end of that chapter, we would see them traveling back to Jerusalem. And it's it's where it, this part in the text is where it picks up in verse one of chapter 12, where it says about that time, what the time that those things were going on, Herod violently attacked some in the church and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. And that pleased the people or the mob. Remember, there was a group of people who was stirred up against the way of Jesus. That's why Stephen got stoned. That's why people had fled. That's what Saul was doing before the Lord converted him. And so Herod arrests and executes James, the brother of John. And then when he saw the positive result there, he imprisoned Peter. And then after Passover, he had intended to bring him out, try him and, and see the same thing happen to him. So hard stop here at the beginning. Herod killed James. Herod executed James, the brother of John, one of the two sons of Zebedee. Herod, I know you may hear that word a lot, Herod. Uh, this was Herod Agrippa, grandson of Herod the Great, who was uh, the ruler when Jesus was born, right? Uh, responsible for the massacre in Bethlehem. So Herod Agrippa arrests James and has him killed by the sword. This is Peter's fishing partner, James. Again, John's brother, Zebedee's son, one of the first followers of Jesus, one of his inner circle slain by the sword at Herod's command. And there were people that rejoiced. 
There were people that rejoiced at his killing, people that were influential, people that were affluent, people that were powerful, people who were opposed to Jesus and his church. Herod, who was prideful and power hungry, saw that it pleased this group and he arrested Peter also. It's a bad situation. It's a terrible situation. James is gone and Peter might be next. This is this is a troublesome time for the church at Jerusalem. It says he put Peter in prison with four squads of four soldiers each to guard him. Sixteen people. And he remember, he was a fisherman. He wasn't in the CIA. He wasn't in the Secret Service. He was he, he a fisherman. And you got 16 guys responsible for guarding him. Why? Because they kept getting out. They kept getting out. The Lord kept delivering them from captivity. And so they've gotten out before Herod's like, nobody is going to take this opportunity away from me to get the, the political and social capital of trying and eventually executing Peter. But he was waiting until after the Passover so that it would sit better with the people. And then we're at verse five. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently for him. So there's a few things in this story as we're going to cover it that I, that I we, we can't help uh, but notice and touch on as we go through. And then there's a few points that we wrestle with at the end uh, of this story. And then I hope we're able to leave with some comfort and some encouragement. I want to read further on in verse six. It says, when Herod was about to bring him out for trial, this is Peter who's in jail, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. And so, again, we know Herod's intentions. He's going to put Peter on trial in a kangaroo court and kill him just like he did James. And, it, and the text says in verse six, this is happening the next day. The next morning, this is supposed to happen. So I want you to notice that even though the next morning he's going up on trial and likely to be executed, what's Peter doing? He's sleeping. He's sleeping even in the midst of that. Aren't you thankful that we can find that kind of peace and rest in Christ to go, well, they killed James. I'm up for the same thing tomorrow. Whatever comes, comes. I'm able to rest tonight in Jesus Christ. Amen. So in spite of the situation, he's sleeping. Well, in verse seven, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Get your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed. He did not know that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street and suddenly the angel left him. So he's there at sleep, gets awakened by an angel. His chains fall off. He's told to get up quickly, put his clothes on because we're leaving. Right. Reminds you a little bit of the Exodus uh, in the Old Testament. And then they pass by all of these guards. How? I don't know. They pass by whatever happened, happened. And they were able to pass by these guards through supernatural intervention, which makes me wonder why the angel was saying, quick, let's go. Hurry fast. Hustle up. It's like, I seems like you got this situation under control, but okay. 
And Peter is going along with this and he's saying to himself, this must be a vision. I must be dreaming. This doesn't seem real. Right. That would be a very surreal experience. And so they get outside and they get through the gate and they're about a block down the street. And then the angel disappears. And Peter's probably thinking, well, no where the angel went. These things were going pretty good. Uh, I feel like he could have hung out for a little bit longer. And then verse 11, it says, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and all that the Jewish people expected. So when he came to himself, when he got his bearings about him, because he, he, you know, when you get woken up anyway, it takes you a little bit to get right. And if you wake up and things are going wild like this, it would take even more for you to realize that you're in fact awake and this is really happening He said, the Lord has sent a messenger, an angel, and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected, from all of the mob's expectation. Listen, God can rescue you from other people's expectations of you. They had an expectation for Peter. This is what's going to happen to him. This is going to be his end. This is who he is. And God rescued Peter from their expectations. He'll rescue us from expectations. Well, all you can be is this. All you'll accomplish is this. All the furthest you can get is here. You'll always be this way. You'll always be that way. He can he can rescue you from the expectations of others. Amen. And he said, the Lord has surely done this. And in verse 12, as soon as he realized what that the Lord has done this, that he is actually free. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. And he knocked at the door of the outer gate and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. So he, he, he realizes, OK, I got my bearings. I figured out what's going on. I know where the people are. Why? Because that's where they would gather was at Mary's house, mother of John Mark. That's probably where he had been when they were praying for James before he had gotten arrested. And he knew that the church was praying because that's what the church did when there was something going on. And so he's knocking on the outer gate. It'd be like knocking at the at the garage door, I guess, N- knocking at the outer gate. And Rhoda answers like, who is it? Who's there? She hears Peter's voice, forgets to open the gate and goes back to tell everybody that Peter's at the gate. And they ask her, let's drop down. I don't think I read that far. Verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true. And they said, it's his angel. So they're like, maybe he's already dead. Maybe it's Peter's spirit. Maybe that's what you're hearing. Who knows? But, but there's no way in their mind Peter's at the gate. See, the church is praying and the church is still surprised when the prayer is answered. The church is praying for Peter and yet still hard to believe the result when it happens. God will do things in your life that are hard for you to believe. That he will do things in your life that are it's hard to believe that it's coming true. Even though they had seen uh, this time and time before, you got to think with Stephen getting stoned and James now dead. I- I'm sure there was there was some struggle in that for them. They knew they needed to be praying, but even when the answer came, they were like, "Well, surely, you know, but probably not, right? But it's probably not true, right?" 
She was so excited she forgot to open the gate. And it says they opened the door, verse 16. Peter kept on knocking. He didn't leave. He kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. And apparently they were, they were loudly amazed because in verse 17 it says, Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and the brothers. He said, and he left and went to another place. So he's still understanding, hey, y'all keep it down. It's middle of the night. I just got out. They're going to be looking for me. Just keep, keep, keep your voice down. But let me tell you what happened. And he goes through it with them. He said, I want you to tell James. You're like, James, didn't James die? This is James, the brother of Jesus, uh, who would be one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church who wrote the book of James that you can read towards the end of the New Testament. He said, tell James and the brothers everything that's happened. And then he left and he went to another place. Now, previously, when they had gotten boosted out of jail, even before I got boosted out of jail by an angel, what did they do? They went right back to the town square and they kept on preaching. But Peter was led at this point by wisdom or by the and or by the leading of the Holy Spirit to go. I need to be somewhere else. Why? Because there's going to be some drama around me not being in the jail when they go to look for me in the morning. It's going to be best for me and for y'all if I'm not close by or close at hand when that happens. Because usually, usually when you get rescued out of something, it's probably, probably best for you to not just walk right back into that the next morning. Don't you think? Let me take a little bit of wisdom from that. He knew what would happen next. And so he leaves Jerusalem. He goes to another place. And then it says at daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So, so much drama around it. Herod even left town. And then I want to read. We won't spend a lot of time on it this morning, but I want to read to you what happened to Herod following that. In verse 20. It said Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. And after winning over Blastus, cool name, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for a peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. A little bit of political stuff there. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. And the assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Sounds painful. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. After they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was also called Mark. So you see there Herod's and what I want you to notice in here is that when the church prays, the mission of God continues forward. When the church prays, the kingdom advances, even if it doesn't exempt some of the body from martyrdom or imprisonment. And the cause continued, even though James was murdered. And Peter had to leave for a time. He would come back. We don't see much more of Peter in the book of Acts, but we'll see him at least one more time. The kingdom 
advanced even in spite of those things. Why? Because that's what the kingdom does. And that's why the church prays to see the kingdom expanding. So those were a few of the things I wanted to walk through it and I wanted to touch on a few of those things. And I want us to in our last uh, bit of time here on it, uh, look over how we think about a few things. Because uh, this story brought something up in my heart and I was turning over and over. And so I want to kind of walk through it with you. Uh, Peter rescued supernaturally from prison and certain death. Right. The church had been praying. He tells them what happened. I'm sure it's an amazing story in their ears. Now, imagine that you are in that group and your name is John. And you're hearing Peter recount to you what the Lord has done to rescue him from prison and from certain death. And your brother James was just executed by the same Herod that Peter was delivered out of the hands of. There's a little bit of tension there for John, right? I'm sure there is. He's been with the body. He's been he's been grieving his brother and he's been praying for Peter one of his best good friends, right? They've been together for so long that he would be delivered. And then when Peter is delivered, there's joy in that. And it's mixed with the sorrow of his brother not being there. And I'm sure there's a little bit of confusion as far as, the, Lord, how did this happen? How did this take place? Peter's been rescued. Amen. James was executed. And we run into plenty of opportunities like that in our life where we we're like, I, amen. Awesome. I'm really excited about Peter. What happened with James? What happened with James? Because surely the body was praying for both of them, right? Surely the body was praying for both of them. I mean, somebody might say, well, maybe he just got arrested and killed so fast they didn't even have a chance to pray. I don't know. about. OK, mm -mm. I can just see James getting to heaven and the Lord going, I would have been able to help you if only they had had time to pray. Or maybe he gets to heaven. And he's like, hey, what's going on? Like, James, we owe you an apology. Look, things were jumping off over in another continent and we were distracted and we didn't. We, we kind of missed it. It happened fast and Herod got you and we were sorry for the inconvenience. Right. No, no. I'm sure it wasn't that way. But these are wrestling questions that we come to when we read the scripture. And that's why we have our question box, right? We, we write those down in there. And that's why we have our Bible study discussion. We, we, we encounter these questions and we sit with them for a little while. And we're like, Lord, teach me in this and help me to better understand this. So if they're praying for both of them, were the prayers for James not answered, but the ones for Peter, they, they, they were answered. And again, does James arrive with questions? Does the Lord have explaining to do? No. First of all, there is no complaint department in heaven because there need not be one. No one arrives there with complaints. No one ever shows up and says, I'm not satisfied with the service. I'd like to enter in a complaint. I disagree with the way that you you handled this. You did this for them and you did this for me. And there was a differential there in my eyes. And I'd like to file a complaint. There's no such thing in heaven because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. 
And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Nobody arrives there dissatisfied and said, you gave me a raw deal. But that's how we think in our mind, isn't it? When we run into situations like James. But you don't have that when you're in God's presence, because when you're in his presence fully and completely, you are in his presence fully and completely. You're not going to question him and go, why did I check out here? I thought I was going to check out here. I didn't get to see this. I didn't get to do this. I didn't get to experience this. I didn't get to have this. I wasn't planning on leaving here. I was planning on leaving here and you got it mixed up. Nobody that gets there ever does that. We think like that here. But when you are there, there it is important possible for you to think that way. All of the concerns that you would have had melt away and evaporate in his presence. And I'm even starting to rethink, you know, we've always talked about, well, here's some of the questions I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. Like, why mosquitoes? Why are they here? They don't do any, you know, we, always, we have that list of things. Here's, what, here's something I want to understand. Here's something I want to see. Here's something I want him to tell me when I get there. And I'm thinking that's never happening for you. Because when you get there, you are there. And in his presence, all of those things melt away. See, you're still thinking like you're here. You won't be here. You will be there. Amen. Even the questions that we have here, they become so insignificant that I'm sure they're just gone from our mind when we are there. I said, even the question department, I, there's no complaint department. I think even the question department, we arrive and like, that doesn't, I really thought that would have mattered, but it really doesn't matter anymore. And that's why I don't, I don't usually correct people, but when people say, you know, our loved ones are looking down on us from heaven, they got better stuff to be doing than looking back over into this. They know what this is. All right. I'm not saying you're not loved and you're not waited on and all of that stuff, but they ain't looking at you. Right. What's he doing? Watching Netflix again after he got done mowing. All right. Well, glad I checked in. No. No. Why? Why would you? You don't need to. It's not necessary. Why? Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. James died. James died. Did it contradict the scripture? No, it confirmed what Christ himself said in the scripture. Now, if you remember, James and John went to Jesus and were like, hey, Jesus, can we sit on your right and on your left when you come into the kingdom? That was a little presumptuous of them. Right. We, we, we've talked about that. But again, we can be presumptuous sometimes, too. And Jesus looked at him and said, can you drink from the cup that I'm going to drink from? And can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to receive? And they were like, yeah, yeah, we can. He was like, well, you're going to get to. You're going to get to do that. You're going to get to drink from the cup that I drink from. You're going to get to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But it's to the father who decides who sits at my right and who sits at my left. And so it wasn't it. It, it wasn't like God missed it. He knew that it was going to happen. So with that, 
With those things in mind, we have to reevaluate our question when we ask, why did Peter get rescued and James not get rescued? We can almost flip it and go, why did James get rescued? Why did God have mercy on Peter and let him out of prison? Why did God have mercy on James and let him out of prison and into his presence? Did God spare Peter and not James or did he spare James and not Peter? Because Peter didn't die yet. His death was coming and he would approach it with the same level of confidence and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ as I'm sure that James did. But you remember what Paul wrote to the Philippians. I've got time to read it. I'm going to look at it. In Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. I'm going to get some stuff done. He says, I, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Jesus Christ may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit and in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but your salvation. And this is from God, for it has been granted to you. On Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that I saw I had, that you saw I had and now hear that I have. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Gain. And that's why we, we well, we, you know, we, we, we lost that. We, we lost Mama, first of all, they 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 won because to live is Christ to die is gain. That's why you don't show up with complaints. That's why you don't show up with questions, because when you die to be for the believer absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Death for the believer is not a loss at all. At all. And see, look, the Lord put a drive in you to live and to survive and to stay alive here. Thankfully, that's why we don't do as much crazy stuff as we could be doing. And we do a lot of crazy stuff. Right. But, but he put that in you so that you would live and you would abide and you would continue on in life here. And we appreciate that. And we endeavor to live and we put that to work. And like Paul said, if I'm living, I'm going to be getting some stuff done. He said, but I'm torn. I want to go home. But whether I'm going home or I'm here, I'm in Christ. And if I'm in Christ here, I'm here to your benefit, even though there's some difficulty in it for me. But for me to die would be gain. It would be gain 
and no loss in it. He put in us the, the, the will to live and the drive to live, but he removed from us the fear of dying. He came to remove from us the fear of dying. The book of Hebrews says, since the children share flesh and blood in common, since we're all flesh and blood, Christ also shared in these. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death or defeat the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held all their lives in slavery by the fear of death. We endeavor to live, but we do not fear death because to live is Christ, to die is gain. Was Peter delivered? Yes. Was James delivered to the uttermost? Yes. Yes. Peter wasn't killed yet. But he would die. And we know that. And we'll talk about that later on. But James was saved to the uttermost. And again, it, it, re, it, it reframes our view when, when we approach that question. And it comforts us to, to know that through, through the whole church, they, they've been faced with times that were miraculous and also painful. Amazing and also difficult. Success and also striving and struggling. Both. And that there's plenty of times where it feels like there's chaos going on to us. And the comfort that I would try to give you today is that it's never chaotic to him. We get overwhelmed. He does not get overwhelmed. We get confused where we don't. I mean, again, think if, if from John's position in this. There's some wrestling in that for him. But the father is not wrestling because for the believer, every ending is a good ending because to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what should we do? We follow the example of the church. We pray for deliverance and we persevere until deliverance comes. We pray for healing. And then we persevere until healing comes. And when we have questions, we comfort ourselves with the words of Jesus. And let me go to the book of John. Chapter 21. And verse 18. And I'm flipping around a little bit more, but I want you to see this with a little bit more framing on it. This is when Jesus is speaking to Peter, when Peter's being restored, right? Peter denied Jesus. Jesus is bringing him back in and he's restoring him. In John 21, and in verse 18, Jesus said to Peter, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, he told Peter, follow me. And so Peter, because you know Peter going to say something. 
Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, a.k.a. John, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked Jesus, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him and Peter saw John, who was sitting with Jesus when this was asked, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about John? What about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. As for you, follow me. So when we ask the question like, God, why did James die and Peter get out of prison and get to go on about his business for a little while longer? His answer here to Peter was, Peter, if I want him to live until I come back, what is it to you? You follow me. You follow me. And I know these are these can be uncomfortable things to to go over, but it's things that we all wrestle with and things that we think about, even if we don't talk about it. And that's why I'm I'm, I'm so thankful. And I hope I hope that you hear not just the wrestling, but the comfort as well, because what, what I'm what I've learned and what I've seen, you know, I've been around for a little while now. Uh, not, not as long as some. Thank, I'm thank the Lord for every day I've gotten. Uh, one thing I've learned is that when we go, when we go out, we're going to go out weak. Otherwise, you're not going out, right? When you die, you die weak. Again, otherwise, you would continue to live for however much longer. When you go out, you go out weak. And when you get laid down or you lay down in that last bed, that last time, the very last one, it's not going to matter what kind of bed it is. It's not going to matter what kind of room it's sitting in, how that room is furnished. It's not going to matter how many square feet the house that it's in has, how nice the yard is, what type of neighborhood it's in, what the property value is. It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter what company you worked for or didn't work for. It's not going to matter how much money is in your bank account. It's not going to matter the size of your retirement. Those things aren't going to matter because they are of no help to you at that point. Even the loved ones gathered around, all, everybody who's going to come and gather around, they, they are, you're going to reach a point where they're of no help to you. And it's just you. And again, you're weak. You can't get up and go, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. He, he told Peter, he said, when you were young, you could get up and go around and do what you wanted to. When, when you're older, people are going to lead you around to places that you don't want to go. He's like, you're going to grow weaker before the end. We have no other answer. We have no other answer when death, that day of death approaches us other than Jesus Christ. He is the only thing left that you can still put your hope in at that moment. Because, again, everything else doesn't matter. All that other stuff's about to be somebody else's. It won't be yours anymore. It won't matter what clothes were hanging in your closet, how, how well you, you, you curated them. Somebody else is going to get all my books. And I'm still kind of upset about that. <laughs> but in that moment. For the believer, it's you and Jesus. And he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And I came so that you could be delivered from the fear of death. Come on, let me walk you right through it. Let me take you right 
through it. And again, all the other things that we've ever hoped in and that we've ever thought would, would, would prop us up, those little miniature idols that set up in our life, all the little things we were proud of and hoped in, all of them come to nothing. And He is there with us to save us to the uttermost. Because again, we're going out weak, but what did He say? His grace is sufficient for us. His strength made perfect in our weakness. So don't fool yourself that you're always going to be strong. You won't always be strong. We know that, but we think we will be. But no, even in weakness, He is not weak. He is strong. And because of that, even when we go through difficulties now, as Paul said, we can rejoice even in affliction because affliction produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And this hope does not disappoint. The hope that we have in Christ will never leave us disappointed. That's why there's not a complaint department there. Amen. So when we run into these things, we have to know that there's some things we're not going to know. There's some things we're not going to understand. But we can comfort ourselves with the fact that He is always with us. He'll never leave us. He never forsakes us. And He is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to Him. Through it all, However many days I get, blessed be the Lord. But he is able to save to the uttermost. All who come to Christ, all who come to him through Christ. That's Hebrews as well. Amen. So I hope that was a comfort to John in those moments. And I hope it's a comfort to us when we encounter those wrestling points in our life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you never leave us and you never forsake us. And when we have questions, you don't always give us the detailed answers, but you give us hope. You give us hope and this hope does not disappoint. So, Lord, when we endure afflictions, which we see the brothers in the early church enduring, that they'll produce endurance and character and hope in us. And that hope will well up on the inside of us all the way until the end. That when we're weak, you are strong. And we love you and thank you for that comfort today. The comfort of being found in Christ. And if you know that when you laid in that bed, you wouldn't have him as your answer. It is just as simple as saying, Lord, be with me. Be for me. What Stephen just said, you are for him. And that you are for all those who come to Christ and come to you through him that I want to be at home with you when it's time for me to go home. And I want you to be Lord over my life every day until then. And find that rest and find that peace and find that comfort for my soul. And we don't just pray that once. We have to pray that often because we continue to need him to restore us in this life. We have tribulation, but he told us to be a good cheer because he's overcome this life, this world, even defeating the one who held the power of death, 
so that we wouldn't have to be held under the slavery of being afraid of it our whole life long, but we can be set free. And with the Apostle Paul say, to live is Christ, but to die is truly gain. Lord, as we leave this place today, I thank you that we go in peace and unity with each other. And Lord, you unify us in ourselves, our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. That you incline our ear to what you would say. And you lead us in the paths that we should walk. I thank you that as we go through this week, you protect us, preserve us, sustain us, uphold us. And you don't lead us into temptation, but you deliver us from evil. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.